I just want to welcome you to Women's Bible Study and ask that you join us in worship as we sing about the promises of God and how they're never failing. And sing with us. Today we stand 
on the promises of the Word of God. And I want us to read one of those promises together. And uh, Sarah Ann's going to read it. Would you hear? With open hearts, the Word of God that's living and active, would it soak deep within your spirit today? Hebrews 10, 19 through 23 says, Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. We do that today, O oh God. We hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. I am standing. We sing it. I am standing on every promise that you make. I will see it come to pass in your name, in your name. Jesus, I will trust every word I hear you say. I will see it come to pass in your name, in your name. I'm standing, I am standing on every promise that you make. I will see it come to pass in your name, in your name. Jesus, I will trust every word I hear you say. I will see Thank you. 
Hello, welcome back. We are in week five of Women's Bible Study. Can you believe that we're already here? It's going by so fast. Uh, This week, we are going to talk about what it means to be people who are gracious. And I'm excited to dive into this with you. But first and foremost, I have some really exciting announcements to share uh, that I want to bring you up to speed on two things that are happening that may be of interest to you and your community. So I want to lay them out there uh, for you to consider. So the first one is, um, I want to tell you, about a kingdom opportunity that we have in this season. Uh, The kingdom department at CA is putting on a virtual short-term team to Central Asia. And what that means is the Bennetts, our dear friends uh, who are missionaries in Central Asia, are going to be offering a four-week online kind of course interactive for people who want to learn about what they're doing in their ministry. So it's like you get to sign on to the screen, you get to talk with them. They're going to talk about community culture, assets and challenges, 
challenges. They're going to talk about what is going on in that part of the world and what God's doing in and through them. Um, and so it's a great way to explore what's happening in the kingdom. Uh, we sent a team about a little over a year ago to meet with them. So we have had women who have been on the field with them there. But since that's not a possibility in this season, uh, I want to invite you, if you're interested, if you have a heart for Central Asia, uh, to consider and pray about what it would look like for you to join a virtual tour uh, to learn more about how you can be supporting them and praying for them in the season. Um, if you want more information, you can go to the website. It's on the CA main page. The address should be on your website. Uh, but that's one awesome opportunity. If you're somebody who has a heart for the nations and wants to do something tangible in the season, uh, that's a great opportunity for you. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I'm so excited to announce um, is that we are going to be putting on an event called Morning of Solitude. And really how this came about is our team got together and started praying and seeking the Lord about what he had for us uh, in the season of March. And what we all felt was a strong tug uh, is to create a space and opportunity for women to sit at the feet of Jesus, for us to be his daughters, for us to, to carve out time uh, to be with the Lord, to hear from him, to worship him, uh, to pray. And so what we're going to do is we're going to offer that uh, for the collective community. It's going to take place on Saturday, March 20th. Uh, we're going to have a pickup from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. in our South Campus parking lot. Uh, and you can drive through. You can get your printed guide for the morning. Uh, we'll have a little gift for those who come in person. And then we're going to send you out and bless you to go somewhere in nature and be with God for either an hour and a half to two hours, whatever your schedule allows. Uh, but we want to do this collectively as a community. And then we're going to come back together online uh, for a Zoom gathering that night to do worship and to celebrate what the Lord did in our time of solitude with him. So I want to encourage you and your groups to join us in that. Uh, we believe that there is power in numbers and that the more women who are sitting at the feet of Jesus seeking his will, his voice, uh, the better we hear from him and the better we grow and encourage one another. So I want to invite you to join that. You can sign up online. Uh, registration's free. And if you can't join us in person, if you're, say, out of state or out of country, uh, you can register and we will email you um, the document and also the Zoom link for you to join us at night if you want to. So um, those are two announcements that excited about and hope that they speak to you and that you can jump in and do something in this season uh, to be part of the greater church. So I wanted to share that with you, but um, I am really excited. I guess I'm excited every week because you guys know me and I get giddy. Um, but this lesson today is about grace. And just thinking about grace, it makes me feel the sense of peace. It makes me feel like it's okay if I'm messy. It's okay if I don't have everything figured out. Um, I love this sweater so much. A dear friend gave it to me. And when I was getting ready to come over here, um, I was cleaning a dish, dish really quick and the dishwasher spilled all over the sweater. And so you may or may not be able to see it. There was a large stain here. And I thought, you know what? I'm talking about grace and grace allows us to be who we are and it allows us to be messy. And so I'm going to wear this sweater that I love, even if it has a stain on it, as a reminder that it's okay that you and I aren't perfect. It's okay that we don't always do everything right. Grace is the pinnacle of the Christian faith. And so wherever you are right now, I just want you to give yourself five seconds of freedom to shake off all the tension in your shoulders. Uh, if you want to make your hair messy, you are loved and free to be exactly as you are uh, because of Jesus Christ. He extends grace to us. And we're going to see the importance of grace today. But before we even get, before we dive into this lesson, I want you to do a second of reflection. 
If I were to ask you right now, on a scale of one to 10, how gracious you are right now in this season, um, what would your answer be? Are you pretty gracious with your spouse, with your children, with yourself, with your friends? Um, I ask you this question as self-reflection because I know my answer to that question. Um, I have been extremely stressed in this season and it all came out the other day, I was driving this is embarrassing. This is vulnerability as a pastor. So thank you for your grace for me. Uh, but I was driving the other day and this car pulled out in front of me and it was a 35 mile per hour street and this car was going 10 miles per hour. And I started to get upset. And so I waited and waited for this car to accelerate to join the rest of the community in the legal speed limit. But this car was at a different pace that day and they were choosing for whatever reason, to go 10 miles per hour, and I got stuck behind them. And what I saw in my spirit uh, troubled me greatly because I was angry. I was furious. I was, you would have thought someone like cut off my left pinky. All I wanted to do was go faster. Why are you not moving? I'm stuck behind you. Um, sometimes it takes these little things in life for us to realize that our grace is running in short supply. And I often think that you and I are able to, to give the grace that we receive. And so if we're not making time uh, to receive the grace of the Father, to be gracious with ourselves, it's very difficult for us to be gracious with other people. And so there's little triggers that go off, like driving. Suddenly I see, oh man, I'm not operating out of a place of grace. I'm operating out of a place of a judgment, entitlement. I was irritated. I was angry. Um, and so maybe you've had moments like that in this season where you catch yourself uh, with a quick fuse or a snap or just you fire back a word you wish you could take back. Um, this is what we're going to talk about today, what it means to be people who are gracious, who are filled with grace. Because really, the entire uh, Christian story hinges on the grace and the truth of Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to see today as we read this passage is we're going to see a council at Jerusalem, all the apostles coming together to discuss what it means that the grace of Christ, is it enough or does something else need to be added uh, to, for people to receive Jesus and to receive his salvation? So um, this is an important topic. I'm excited to dive into it with you. So wherever you are, you can follow along on the screen. This is a moment of grace. You can get your own Bible if you want, or you can close your eyes and just listen uh, because we are people who are gracious. So you can do whatever feels right for you. Um, but I'm going to read. We're going to start off in chapter 15 going right to verse one. Um, and this is what the word of the Lord says today. It says, uh, certain people came down from Judea and Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some of the other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem... They were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. 
All right, we're going to pause there. So the issue is circumcision. You see, in the Old Testament, uh, the people of Israel were governed by laws that made them God's people. They had to follow uh, the Mosaic Covenant. They had to follow everything that the Lord had written out. And one of the signs of the covenant, which I believe you read about in your lesson this week, is males had to be circumcised in order to be people of Israel, in order to be God's children. And so what's happened here is Peter received this vision uh, to go to the Gentiles to preach the good news that they would be accepted by God's grace into the kingdom. And now what's happening is there are different uh, beliefs going out. Some people, we'll call them uh, Judaizers, uh, I believe that's what they called them in the day, who are going out and preaching that no, you can become part of Jesus's followers, but you have to follow the Mosaic law. Whereas Paul and Barnabas and the apostles were spreading all are welcome to come to Jesus Christ because of his grace. And so the issue is circumcision. You have people of a certain ethnic community who have followed the law rigorously and expect that those who are now invited in will do the same to keep the law to be God's people. And then you have the other party that says, no, that's not true. Jesus died to fulfill the law. And so we don't need to put the law on people anymore. Jesus's grace is enough for the Jews and the Gentiles to come to him. And so that's the issue. And what we see is the process is that they round up the apostles and elders to talk about it at what we know as the council at Jerusalem. And what I think is so important about this or something I think we could take from this is that when there is something in question, when they have two factions of parties, instead of pitting each other against each other and throwing darts back and forth and them trying to convert, convert as many people as possible who will be circumcised and them going against them, there's a spirit of unity that they decide, okay, we need to get together and talk about this. We need to figure out what actually is truth. You see, they had this mission mindset that they put the church ahead of their own agendas and beliefs. So they got together. They said, let's bring everybody in. Um, So Paul and Barnabas, they went up with the elders and the apostles. Everybody met here to talk about what is true. They had this discernment that they didn't want to preach anything that was false. They were held accountable by God and they wanted to make sure that the message that they were giving out was the gospel that Jesus died for, that they didn't add anything to it. And so I love that they gathered together to meet. And I wonder, just as a side note, how often you and I, uh, we pit our parties against each other. What, no matter what it's about, it doesn't have to be politics. It can be our belief about whether or not you should eat sugar, whether or not kids should be homeschooled or go to public school. It doesn't matter. We have a lot of different opinions, but sometimes what happens in the church is we can take a side and instantly want to defend it against the other. And what I think is so beautiful, and I do think is an invitation for us, is that instead of fighting each other, instead of judging each other, instead of debating from different things, they all, they all came together. They said, let's rally up. Let's talk about this. Let's explore this because we all want to be on the same page. That is the beauty of the church, my friends. And that's an exact picture of grace, that there is space to come together to talk about things before everybody starts going out and doing what they believe is best and further dividing the church. There is this space that they come together and they talk about issues that they have questions about. Because the reality is there's a lot of gray areas uh, that you and I don't know everything and they didn't know everything. So they said, let's get together. Let's discern together what is truth and how will we build the church that God has called us to build. Um, And I love that. So I think there's stuff we can learn from them. So 
they're gathering, they're discussing the issue of circumcision. And so what we're going to see is we're going to see three responses now. Um, we're going to see Peter give a response, Paul and Barnabas give a response, and then James, Jesus's brother, is going to give a response. So they're gathered, and let's, let's read what they said, starting in verse 7. It says, after much discussion, uh, we can assume everyone was kind of weighing in, people were talking. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors had been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as we are. So we're going to pause there. This is Peter's response uh, to the question of do they need to be circumcised? And Peter goes right back to his lived experience when he saw the vision coming down from heaven of the blanket with animals um, that the Lord said, get up and eat. Peter received the news of Jesus that he, Jesus sees everybody the same that he saw that the table was open for all to come, that anybody could be saved. And he says, no, we believe it's through grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved. He says, God doesn't discriminate anymore. Back in the Old Testament, he used to define by the law, either you follow it and you're my people or you don't and you're cast out. What Peter's saying is, no, after that vision I received from the Lord, the Lord and the Holy Spirit confirmed that they are seen as equal as us. God gave them the Holy Spirit without being circumcised, just the same way that we received the Holy Spirit. There is nothing that's different about us. This is a principle of the gospel that I still think that makes Christianity so different from the other religions of the world, is that Jesus says, they, we are equal. There is neither female nor male, Jew nor Gentile. God sees human dignity and worth in all of us and invites everyone to the table. And so Peter gets up and he defends us. He says, now we believe it's through the grace of our Lord. Everyone is accepted. There should have to be no circumcision for someone to follow Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the law so that we didn't have to. So that's Peter's um, rebuttal, I guess you could say, or his point. It comes from his own experience of knowing Jesus, experiencing the Holy Spirit, and watching what God did to see Cornelius and his family be brought into the truth of the gospel. So then, so that's Peter. He gives his argument. Now we go, it's really short, but it's important. Uh, verse 12 says, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. So Paul and Barnabas, what their discussion point is or what their argument is, is they, they're sharing everything that the Spirit unleashed in them to show the Gentiles. Their point is, why would God allow these signs and wonders, these powers to come true for the Gentiles to see them if the Gentiles were suddenly cast off by law? If they weren't actually allowed in unless circumcision, why would God do works and wonders among them to invite them in, to show them his love, to invite them to receive his power? And I love this because it says that the whole assembly grew silent 
when the Holy Spirit is active, when there is a tangible presence there, it causes us all to be silent and to watch who God is. So Paul and Barnabas said, watch, look at what happened. Look at what the Spirit did in and among us to the Gentiles. Do you not see that the Spirit is for the Gentiles as much as he's for you and I, and it does not matter if they are circumcised or uncircumcised? He's already showing them his power because he wants them to know him. So that's Paul and Barnabas's their, their point. And last but not least, we come up to verse 13, and it says, when they finished, James spoke up. Uh, Brothers, he said, listen to me, Simon who was Peter, he's using Peter's Hebrew name because now James is is addressing the Jews in the room uh, who will understand Peter's background and his new position. So he does this, he's pretty smart. And also James, James was referred to as camel need because he spent so much time on his knees in prayer. This is Jesus's own brother uh, who's now leading this council and sharing truth with them. So this is what James, his brother says. He says, verse 14, Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. Then he quotes from Amos. He says, after this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. Verse 19, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times, and it is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. So here we see James get up and basically James kind of, he brings the hammer down. He says, no, 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 we need to, we need to go back to the word of God. That is where truth is. And so he pulls up the Old Testament prophet Amos and he reads and he says, even all the Gentiles who bear my name says the Lord. The Lord prophesied long ago that the Gentiles would be invited into the kingdom. And so James explains the word of God and says, brothers, It is not right that we make them do what we have done by the law. God's word says that they are invited in. (sighs) How often do we do this? How often do we put up our own rules, our own expectations of who is worthy and who is unworthy? Grace conquers this division. Grace is what allows you and I to connect. It's what allows you and I, grace is really getting what we don't deserve. And so for this group of people who had been religious from the beginning, who had followed the law of God, observed the commandments, uh, went to synagogue every week, did everything they were told, for them now to come up against people who have never followed the law they had to follow, who didn't go after didn't have to go through circumcision, there's kind of this battle of, hey, is that fair? They don't, why don't they have to do everything we had to do? Because this, uh, this is painful. This is what we've been through is heavy work. We've, we've earned this was almost the sense that it produced in them. And so here they're deciding, is there anything that somebody needs to do to receive eternal life? Is the old covenant in play or is the new covenant in play? I want to read to you um, 
a Bible verse that comes out of Ephesians. It says, Ephesians 2, 11 through 6 says, this is looking back at this situation. It says, therefore remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, which is done by the body of human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two groups, Jews and the Gentiles, one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility." This is the picture of Jesus's grace. There were two sects, there were two camps of people and Jesus, when he died on a cross, he made it possible to build one new humanity that all could come to him by grace, through faith alone. Not by works, not by anything we can earn, not by what we can accomplish, not by our ethnic heritage, not by what we do, but based on what Jesus did. Jesus fulfilled the law on our behalf so that all who want can draw near to him. You and I are free to accept the grace of Christ, what he did for us and receive him as our savior without obeying the the laws that um, Israel used to obey. Now through Jesus, all are welcome at the table. Have you wrestled with the beauty of that grace? Because see, we live in a generation where we believe that we earn what we get. And our world, our culture tells us, you gotta hustle for things, you gotta go to school, you gotta work hard, you get what you deserve. And so often I think that there's this entitlement in our culture that says, well, of course we should get to go to heaven. Of course we should be loved. Of course we should be accepted by Jesus. Why, why wouldn't we? We've missed some of the sin that separates us from God. Everything has a cost, everything has a price. And because of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ paid the price for our sin, for all the mistakes you and I made, for all those that we hurt, that we harm. Jesus covered that so that you and I, what we deserve is death. But instead, Jesus took that death so that you and I could have life. It is by grace and grace in Jesus Christ alone that we are saved. And that is what is being defended in the Jerusalem Council. Now, had they not come together, had they not debated this, what perhaps might have happened is the two camps would have gone their own way. One would have gone preaching a gospel of salvation by faith and grace. Another one would have gone out and said, no, you have to be circumcised. You have to follow these laws. And what's at stake is the truth of the gospel that Jesus died for us, that he's finished, that he did the work, that it is done. This is the truth that we stand in. 
This is where you and I are invited to camp out and live in the grace given to us by Jesus Christ to receive that grace, to receive what we don't deserve. It's, it's harder than it sounds. When we, when we try to become people of grace, often we get into a works mentality. Our flesh says, no, you gotta earn it. You gotta be more. You gotta be better. You gotta be good enough. There's something in us that wants that kind of tangible, like I can do it. I'm worth it. But really grace just says, I can't do it. I'm not enough. I'm going to make mistakes. I have stains on me. I ha- I'm a mess. But I trust that what Jesus did on the cross was enough for me. It's enough for me to be loved. It's enough for me to get to go to heaven and have eternal life with Jesus. It's enough for me to receive his forgiveness because of what he did, not because of what I did. This is the gospel that they sought to defend. And I just want to jump to Galatians 1, 6 through 10. Uh, Paul is super passionate about this. He's committed his life work to make Jesus known. And so he talks about this division between the Jews and the Gentiles, about adding works to a gospel where Jesus already did the work. And he uses, you can just feel his passion in this, which is why I want to share this text. Uh, Galatians 1, 6 through 10 says, Paul speaking, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting to the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. And you're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I will say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. You see, Paul defends the gospel, that there's nothing that you and I can do to earn God's favor. There's nothing that can be added on. It's not like if you stop smoking and believe in Jesus, you'll get to heaven. If you forgive this person and believe in Jesus, you'll get to heaven. If you, if you tithe and believe in Jesus, it's, it's no and. It's just if you by faith believe in Jesus, the grace of Christ covers you. God says his grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in weakness. What Jesus did is enough for us. The grace that he offers you and I is enough. It's enough to sustain us. It's enough to save us. It's enough. It allows you and I to take a deep breath. That is the good news of the gospel, that it's not try harder. It's that it's already done. There's nothing you and I can do to add to the gospel. What you and I are invited to do is to receive the gospel, to receive the grace that God gives us, to accept that we're going to continue to make mistakes, we're going to continue to hurt people, we're going to continue to do things wrong, and we receive Christ as our sacrifice, as, as this t- atonement for our sins, that we can't do it, but he did. This is the good news that's decided about in this council, and therefore this is the gospel that's preached to the end of the world. 
Now, if you know anything about history, there was a reformation that happened with Martin Luther, and it was over this exact issue. Martin Luther believed that the Catholic Church was distorting the truth of the gospel, that they were adding things to it. And so Martin Luther went out in, to set the, the, the record straight that the gospel is justification by faith alone. That there's nothing else you can do. And that's what created a divide from the Catholic Church and the um, Protestant church. That was the division. It was over the truth of the gospel, that God, that Jesus Christ, through faith alone, his grace is sufficient. Um, so for you history buffs, you can look more into that. I'm not a historian. Um, by grace, God just lets me remember little parts of things and forget other parts. So it's grace abound today in this lesson. Um, but what I want to do is I want to dive into the end of this, of this section because what they do, they, so they come to this decision. James basically lays it down. He says, no, it is not circumcision. And he gives four suggestions of what they should encourage the church to do. He says, uh, Abstain from food polluted by idols, uh, abstain from sexual immorality, the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. So three of those have to do with food. And the main reason that Paul or that James says these three things is for relationship. You see, the Jews were accustomed to not eating food uh, that had been polluted by idols, that was offered to idols other than God on a sacrifice. Uh, they had been told not to eat meat from strangled animals and to avoid the blood. And so that is the way that they grew up. And so in this council, they decided if we are going to follow God's command and make two humanities one, the Gentiles, in order to eat with the Jews, need to respect where the Jewish people have come from, their history, their roots. It's not an issue of salvation, but what this will allow for is for them to commune together, for them to have fellowship. You see, the Jews were raised that they could not, they could not eat with people who, who did the things that were against the law. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to bring them together, that Jews and Gentiles can eat together, that there is no more disparity between them, that there's no us and them. So they encourage them that the Gentiles should avoid these things so that they can all be in community together. And then he also, last thing is sexual immorality. That's something that's serious to God and it's not a part of his people. And so it would, they encourage them if you avoid these things, these practices, it'll go well for the one humanity that God is building and bringing the Jews and Gentiles together in his grace. So what they decide to do is they decide to send a letter. And that's what we're going to read next, uh, the end of this passage. Verse 22, it says, Then the apostles and elders with the whole church, decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. With them, they sent the following letter, the apostles and elders, you brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia, greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. 
So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by believers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. You see what happens here is the council makes this decision together unanimously. This is what we believe the gospel is. And then what they do is they choose men to go and deliver by word of mouth what the truth is. They didn't want this truth getting lost in a letter that might be perceived by different groups and seen different way. They wanted to build the actual relationships with these churches so that everybody would know the truth. Everybody would be told how to handle the gospel together to unite the church. Everything they did was in priority in favor of the church. They wanted the good news to go out and to not be polluted. And so they send these men on their way. Um, and you see the reaction of the people, how encouraged they are by this, to know that they do not need to follow this difficult law that's been placed on the Israelites' shoulders all through the Old Testament. It was so hard for them to follow this law and they, they could never fully do it. And now they're being told, it's not, you don't have to be perfect to be a believer in Jesus. You can come as you are. We encourage you to avoid these things because it will go well for you if you do, but you are saved by grace. As I was doing this message, I read a commentary that said that our problem sometimes as the church, as Christians, when we're telling the good news to other people and we're becoming fisher, fisher women of men, fisher women of women, uh, we do this thing where we clean the fish before we catch the fish. So often you and I want to put stipulations or rules or regulations on what someone needs to do to come into the community. But the problem with that is that's not the way the gospel works. The gospel is open to all who will come to Jesus. They are allowed exactly as they are. God loves them and has died for them in their sin exactly as they are. What you and I get to be part of on the other side of someone coming to know Jesus, we get to do the work together of making choices that honor and respect God. But there are no conditions of somebody coming to Jesus. They don't have to be a certain way. They don't have to give up a certain thing. They don't have to do all this activity to receive Jesus as their savior. The only thing they have to do is they have to accept that they are a sinner who needs a savior and they can invite Jesus into their heart exactly as they are. Something I saw in this passage is that the law leads to rebellion, but love leads to relationship. The grace that you and I receive in Christ allows us to be gracious with ourselves, and then it allows us to be gracious with others. That's one of the aromas of Christianity is that you and I are called to be people of grace who minister it to ourselves, knowing that we can't be perfect, that we can't earn the love that we don't deserve, that we just receive it because we're children of God. We have to receive that first before we can give it to anybody else. And so today, um, I don't really have three points. Why? Because it's the lesson of grace and I didn't follow the rules. But there are some things I want you to consider as you go about your week and as you think about being people of grace. And the first thing is, uh, how are you at receiving the grace of Christ? Have you 
received the grace of Christ. Some of us grew up in very legalistic churches that are very wrought with the law. You must obey this, you must do this. If you don't, you're not accepted. Have you received the grace of Christ that says that you are enough because of what Jesus did on the cross? I encourage you today uh, to do a little bit of self-digging in your own theology and your experience of the church of your faith. Is there anything that keeps you from God uh, that says that, no, you're not worthy, you're unlovable, you have to fix yourself before you get to him? I want to tell you that that is a lie. Jesus Christ died for us and he comes to us because he wants relationship with us. God loves you um, and wants to receive you exactly as you are where you are. Have you received the grace of Christ in your life? Have you accepted that there's nothing you can do to earn his love, to earn his favor? I actually think this is the hardest part of being Christian. Uh, it's not doing the things that God encourages us to do. It's, it's just receiving this insurmountable love um, that often we feel we don't deserve. We think, I'm so unworthy of this. And God says, no, you are worthy. Receive my grace. Have you received God's grace? And once you've received God's grace, how are you doing with living in that grace yourself? How often do you tend to beat yourself up? to should yourself, as they say, to make yourself feel bad? Do you catch yourself scolding yourself, talking negative to yourself, uh, measuring yourself to other people? How gracious are you with you? Because the reality is if you're not gracious with yourself, there's no way you're gonna be able to be gracious with others. It starts with us. It says that, or the saying goes, that those who receive much grace give much grace. Those who receive little grace, give little grace. Have you received grace? Have you admitted that you're not perfect? Or are you constantly striving to be and beating yourself up when you're not? Do you let yourself off the hook when you forget something? Do you condemn yourself when you say the wrong thing or when you do the wrong thing? I want to encourage you this week, when you think about being people that are gracious, it's not just to others. It's also to ourselves. It's the relationship we have with ourselves. What would it look like for you to give yourself grace this week? For you to not be so hard on yourself, for you to not beat yourself up when you do something wrong or when you look a certain way or when you respond to a spouse or a child a certain way, what are the areas of your life that trip you up, that cause you to be really hard on yourself? I know for me, well, driving was one of the things that exposed how not gracious I was being. It gave me eyes to see, oh my gosh, I'm This is sad that I'm so upset that someone's going 10 miles per hour. I have three minutes to spare. It's pandemic. I have nowhere to be. Something like that, it opens my eyes to see, wow, I'm not being gracious with myself. And so I had to do a little bit of self-reflection and prayer of God. Help me to be more gracious. Help me uh, to not be so upset over the things I can't control. You don't ask me to control things. You ask me to trust you. So I trust you. I trust you if I'm three minutes late that it's okay. So have you received the grace of Christ? Are you being gracious with yourself? And the last one, who do you need to be gracious to? This has been a season where we live in close quarters. Uh, Tensions can be high. We can get annoyed easily, frustrated easily, irritated easily, and 
we also have a tendency to place a lot of expectations on other people, whether we recognize it or not. So who have you been placing expectations on that you need to be gracious about? Maybe you're somebody, maybe you're the friend that always calls and you're starting to get irritated that they're not calling you back because you are always the one. Maybe you need to give them the grace that they just assume you'll call because you like to call. Maybe you're the one that always cleans the bathroom and it's starting to bother you that the person you live with isn't doing the same. What would it look like to be gracious to them? To have even a conversation of grace saying, hey, is the expectation that I always clean the bathroom? If so, can we talk about it? When we add grace to our relationships, it gives the space for love to grow. What happens is when we bring the law and judgment into our relationships, you didn't do this, this made me mad, it takes away all the space where Jesus gets to come in and we get to develop trust and love and friendship. Have you ever gotten in trouble for something that you did wrong? I used to get in trouble all the time. As a kid, you might be surprised by this, I was actually kind of naughty. They called me Princess Naughty in my house. Not my mom and dad, but my aunts and uncles all called me that because I was pretty stubborn and I did my own thing whenever I wanted. I started dressing myself when I was two. So I was a stubborn-willed child who always wanted my way. And what would happen is when I did things wrong, I tended to get in trouble. There would be consequences. I'd have to sit in the timeout chair. I would lose a privilege. There was lots of consequences. But what I remember of my childhood is I remember the times that my parents, not when they came down with the law, although that's what, they're, that's what they need to do, that's part of discipline, but what I remember is the times where my mom and dad would sit with me and they'd give me grace they wouldn't give me the consequence I deserved. They would talk to me and they would say, you know what, Coley, I know that you're frustrated today or I know that you really wanna wear this pink ballet suit out in the 10 degree weather and we're gonna let you, it's okay. I remember grace because grace builds relationships. Grace allows me to be broken and still loved. When we extend grace, we extend an invitation of Christ's love through us. We reflect him who receives us as we are. We are encouraged to receive others the same way. So who do you need to be gracious with this week? Who do you need to extend a hand or a forgiveness what would it look like for you to be a person of grace this week? Because God loves you and he covers you in his grace and he empowers you with the Holy Spirit to live in the truth that we are not perfect and we don't have to be, but that God covers us. This is the good news, friends. Uh, so my hope for you this week, my hope is that in your relationships, you can receive the grace of Christ and extend it to others that there doesn't need to be judgment and law, but that you can see people's brokenness and extend forgiveness to them, that you can see your own brokenness and receive Christ's forgiveness of you. Grace is what holds us together. It's like the honey that God gives us that makes things sweet. May you experience grace um, in your lives and in your hearts and in your minds and relationships this week. Let's pray as we close. Father, we thank you that you're a God of grace. We confess that we're sinners and we're broken and we make mistakes all the time. And yet you still love us, God. You made a way for us uh, where there wasn't a way. And so God, right now, wherever we are, we just pray to receive your grace. Would you show us what it looks like to receive your grace, to be people of grace, to be gracious with ourselves, and then to extend that grace to others. Would you do this by the power of your Holy Spirit? 
we invite you into our week and we thank you for what you've done. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you that you are enough. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, guys, if you don't have anything going on right now, I encourage you to sign up uh, for Morning of Solitude or to go online and register to do the virtual short-term tour. Uh, May you be people of grace this week. You have the privilege of being with Kathy Christopher next week for our last session of the winter season. So don't miss it. Uh, We'll see you next week. Blessings on you.